You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, January 22nd, 2021. For their support, we'd like to thank California Solar Electric Company, a locally owned solar cooperative. California Solar Electric Company is a SunPower Elite dealer, designing and installing residential, home battery storage, and commercial solar systems in Nevada County since 2000. Information, cal-solar.coop. A to Z Hardware Supply and Garden Center, locally owned since 1984, offering household construction essentials plus April's Garden, a memorial lawn and garden nursery for all seasons with beekeeping and canning supplies. Ridge Road, Grass Valley, A to Z Supply.com. Well, coming up after a look at our local headlines and weather, we'll bring you NPR's national news. Then we're going to speak with Brett McFadden, the superintendent of the Nevada Joint Union High School District, which will be returning to hybrid learning on February 1st. The Public News Service has reports on the American Civil Liberties Union saying that Joe Biden's eviction moratorium is a good start. And they'll also report on the Heal Food Alliance, which is trying to make a divided nation's food supply safe. We'll close out our newscast with this week's edition of World Ocean Radio, where they will discuss how important it is to map our ocean. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. Nearly 2,000 Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines have been delivered to Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital's cold storage. The vaccines were given today and will be given tomorrow to frontline workers in Phase 1A Tier 3, meaning people like chiropractors, dentists, and first responders will be getting the inoculations, according to Nevada County Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman. We have not moved down to 1B yet, and we're not there yet, but we will be soon, Kellerman said, probably in 7 to 10 days. Phase 1B Tier 1 allows those 75 years of age and older to get the vaccine. Phase 1B Tier 2 allows those 65 years and older to get it. The union reports that authorities and the Grass Valley Public Works staff responded to an incident around 9.30 this morning after a portion of the Del Oro Theater's marquee fell onto the sidewalk. Grass Valley Police Sergeant Clint Bates said that when the section of the roof in front of the theater's ticket box office fell, there was no damage to nearby outdoor tables, plants, or neighboring businesses. Bates said the incident did not result in any injuries. The San Francisco Chronicle reports that California spent nearly $19 million for a week's worth of high security around the California state capitol and other locations because of fears of civil unrest surrounding the inauguration of President Joe Biden, according to officials' preliminary estimates. National Guard troops began standing down yesterday, but state and local enforcement will maintain a heightened posture over the coming days, said Brian Ferguson, a spokesman for the governor's office of emergency services. Temporary fencing installed around the Capitol will stay up for at least the rest of the week. Governor Newsom mobilized 1,000 members of the National Guard to safeguard the Capitol and other vital infrastructure at a cost of $3.4 million for staffing, fuel, and travel, according to the State Department of Finance. But the bulk was $15.4 million in extra costs for the California Highway Patrol, 
which went on tactical alert five days before the inauguration. Highway Patrol Commissioner Amanda Ray said that was necessary to provide maximum department resources to protect public safety, along with state buildings. The CHP's cost included temporary fencing and lighting around the Capitol, in addition to extra staffing. Ferguson said the heavy security was an effective deterrent to vandalism and other potential unlawful activity. On his first day in office, President Joe Biden issued a sweeping executive order making clear that gay and transgender people are protected against discrimination in the workplace, schools, health care, and other realms of American life. The executive order outlines a broad interpretation of last year's landmark Supreme Court ruling that gay and transgender employees are covered by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination because of sex. A top California health official said it could take four to five months just to complete COVID-19 vaccinations for those 65 and older, although there's hope that this timeline will improve under the Biden administration. Dr. Erica Pan said the projection is based on the state population being comprised of roughly 6.2 million people age 65 and over. The target goal is to vaccinate 70% of those people, or 4.34 million seniors, with two doses. With the current allocations from the federal government, the state is receiving about 400,000 doses a week, or 500,000 in a good week. At this rate, it could take until June to inject shots into the arms of seniors. As California struggles to meet the challenge of vaccinating all those awaiting them, officials are pinning their hopes on President Joe Biden's promise to ramp up resources for vaccination. There's hope that the state's vaccination rate will speed up. The American Association of University Women, the AAUW, Nevada County Branch, and Community Beyond Violence, CBV, are presenting a virtual public awareness forum, Domestic and Sexual Violence, How It Touches Us All on Saturday, January 30th, from 9.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. This live stream awareness forum can be viewed on January 30th at nevadacountymedia.org or live on Comcast Channel 11 or Suddenlink Channel 16. A recorded presentation will also be available after February 5th at nevadacountymedia.org. No Time to Die, the latest film in the James Bond series and one of the most anticipated movies of 2020, has been delayed again. It was originally set to open in North American theaters on April 10th of 2020. This is the 25th film in the Bond series and was the first major movie to be delayed because of the pandemic, but certainly not the last. The film, which stars Daniel Craig as 007, was then set to open on April 2nd of this year but MGM has announced that it would push the action film back to October 8th of 2021. This is the third time the film has been delayed since the coronavirus pandemic started. A quick note for you baseball fans, Hank Aaron passed away today. The weather forecast for Grass Valley in Nevada City is calling for a 50% chance of showers this evening with snow showers as well in the evening, then partly cloudy overnight with lows around 35. On Saturday, some clouds in the morning giving way to partly sunny skies in the afternoon with a high near 50. Saturday night, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-30s. And on Sunday in the Nevada City, Grass Valley area, rain and snow showers mixed in the afternoon with highs around 43. In Sacramento tonight, increasing clouds overnight with lows near 40. On Saturday, sunny by the afternoon with highs in the upper 50s. Saturday night, a few clouds overnight with lows in the mid-30s. And on Sunday, there's a 70% chance of rain in the afternoon with highs in the low 50s. In Truckee, tonight, 
A chance of snow showers overnight with lows in the low 20s. On Saturday, partly cloudy with highs in the mid-30s. Saturday night, mostly clear with lows in the mid-teens. And on Sunday in the Truckee region, snow showers in the afternoon with highs in the mid-30s. In Angels Camp tonight, showers early with lows in the mid-30s. Saturday, partly sunny with highs in the low 50s. Saturday night, clear with lows around freezing. And on Sunday in the Angels Camp area, rain in the afternoon with highs near 50. A warning for everybody, snow coming next week. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt. You are tuned to the KVMR Evening News. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Biden says that delaying the impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump would give the Senate more time to confirm his cabinet. NPR's Aisha Roscoe reports that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi plans to transmit articles of impeachment to the Senate on Monday. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has asked Democrats to delay the start of the impeachment trial until mid-February. President Biden said he was not familiar with the details of McConnell's plan, but that pushing the trial back would give his administration more time to get officials in place. The more time we have to get up and running to meet these crises, the the better. Biden has declined to weigh in on whether his predecessor should be convicted by the Senate and possibly banned from holding federal office. Trump is charged with inciting an insurrection after his supporters stormed the Capitol stirred by Trump's false claims of a stolen election. Aisha Roscoe, NPR News, the White House. This hour, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced Trump's impeachment will start the week of February 8th. At a signing ceremony at the White House today, President Biden said the U.S. economic crisis is deepening due to the coronavirus pandemic and action is needed now to help struggling Americans. Biden noting that some people are barely hanging on and the government needs to act decisively and boldly to help those who are seeing paychecks reduced or eliminated entirely. While saying we cannot change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next few months, the president is calling for people to wear masks. He set a goal of 100 million COVID vaccinations in the first 100 days of his presidency. President Biden is reinstating building standards meant to protect against floods. NPR's Rebecca Hersher reports the standards had been repealed by the Trump administration. President Biden included the building standards in one of the executive orders he signed shortly after he took office. The standards were originally put in place by the Obama administration, but were rescinded by the Trump administration in 2017. The standards apply to federally funded buildings, including government buildings, hospitals, public housing, and water treatment plants. They must be constructed in ways that protect against floods, for example, by elevating the first floor off the ground. Flooding is getting more frequent and severe in many parts of the U.S. because of climate change. The standard is meant to protect against both sea level rise and extreme rainstorms. Rebecca Hersher, NPR News. Pharmaceutical maker Pfizer is pledging to provide up to 40 million doses of its COVID-19 vaccine this year as part of a global effort to get affordable shots to poor and middle-income countries. deal announced today will supply the shots through a program known as COVAX. Pfizer and German partner BioNTech will provide the doses at an undisclosed not-for-profit price over the course of this year. A mixed close on Wall Street today. The Dow was down 179 points. The Nasdaq gained 12 points. The Standard & Poor's 500 was down 11 points today to close at 3841. This is NPR.
On the 48th anniversary of the 1973 Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion in the U.S., Republicans in Kansas are advancing an anti-abortion amendment to the state constitution. Measure passed today in the Kansas State House on an 86 to 38 vote. Next goes to the state Senate for debate, possibly by next week. The amendment would overturn a 2019 Kansas Supreme Court decision declaring abortion a fundamental right under the state's Bill of Rights. A major new study helps resolve a critical question about how to treat COVID-19 patients in the hospital. NPR's Richard Harris reports the latest on blood-thinning drugs. Doctors noticed early on that many COVID patients develop potentially dangerous blood clots, but they weren't sure when and how to use blood-thinning drugs. A large new study finds people in intensive care should get only small doses of blood thinners, while people elsewhere in the hospital with COVID should get a full dose. Dr. Matthew Neal at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center helped run the study and said the result is a surprise. We thought that the benefit may well have been in the sickest of patients, but what we're seeing now is that the benefit seems to be for patients who are more moderately ill. Study findings have so far been reported in a press release from the National Institutes of Health, but Neil says the details should be available in days to weeks. Richard Harris, NPR News. Twitter announced today it's permanently banning an account linked to the office of Iran's Supreme Leader. Officials with the microblogging site say the decision follows the posting of a picture that appears to show former President Donald Trump playing golf in the shadow of a large drone. However, other accounts tied to the Supreme Leader have not been pulled down. This is NPR. We're talking with the superintendent of the Nevada Joint Union High School District, Brett McFadden. We thank you for joining us, Brett. Thanks, Felton. Honored to be here. We got a press release that I guess we call it the NJUHSD. Is that your acronym for that? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And you guys are going to be returning to hybrid instruction, uh, hopefully beginning February 1st, which is just around the corner. And that should be some good news for uh, families and students. We're excited. You know, we've learned through this pandemic that the best form of education is in-person education. Well, so our students can um, get the services they need and, and uh, have all of the benefits and the extracurricular activities and athletics and such that, that they deserve. And so we're excited to uh, resume our hybrid model back again after a hiatus we needed to take uh, due to a rise in uh, COVID-19 cases on our campuses and in the community after the Thanksgiving holiday. But is this February 1st date dependent on staff and teachers getting vaccinated, or what are your priorities and protocols here? No. Um, you know, during this, the COVID-19 pandemic and in this environment, everything is subject to change on almost an hourly basis, unfortunately. We feel pretty firm, though, that um, and we've notified the community that to prepare for this transition our teachers, our school staff, our administrators are all behind this. We have safety protocols put in place. Two new additions that we have are we've set up in partnership with our county office of education, a rapid testing for educators that are um, showing symptoms. We didn't have this in place last fall, and so this will provide us better, quicker turnaround so that our staff doesn't have to isolate or quarantine as long. And then, as communities heard, we are starting vaccinations next week. So with these things in place, we're feeling confident that we can begin to bring this hybrid model back. And then, hopefully, this is the start of our return back to normal. We've got a forecast with five, six days of snow next week, which might hinder testing. So would that push back your date a little bit if that were to happen? Well, everything's subject to change. So, you know, it wouldn't be 
a COVID year without additional challenges on top of everything else we're facing. But right now, we're going to go ahead with the vaccine and um, the vaccination uh, process. And, you know, we're going to we'll handle the snow and, and uh, do the best we can. I assume that most parents and students know where their high school is, what district they're in, but can you explain how many schools this involves? Yeah, this will involve actually all of the schools and school districts on the western slope. So every school district, with the exception of Truckee Unified. So we will coordinate the effort. Uh, My agency is taking the lead in terms of conducting the vaccinations for all school personnel, not just teachers, but classified staff, administrators, those that are are on campuses and and in either direct or indirect contact with, with students and families will be eligible to receive the vaccination dosages. And so we'll be conducting those on the Nevada Union High School campus beginning Wednesday, and we'll do a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're using the Pfizer vaccine, and so the Pfizer vaccine requires two doses of the vaccine. So employees will will come in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week, and then they'll have to come back, uh, I believe, uh, about three weeks later, the second dose. In your opinion, what is the advantage to in-person learning as opposed to distance learning, basically Zoom, or taking your materials home and returning them? What we've discovered is is that distance learning has been implemented in colleges and universities and, and some you know trade programs and such. That's a different type of environment. Usually the students that are taking such courses, you know, they're they're have an incentive to be there, they've chosen to be there. The challenge with teenagers is, is that it's very easy to to sort of tune out uh, on the screen. But what we've noticed, and this is we're, we've seen this here locally, but we're getting reports nationwide where students don't have the incentive to engage. They're lethargic about their education. They don't have the same connection. And we found that students really thrive on having those social connections. And I think we need to be honest too. There are a lot of other things that we offer at high schools that are actually attract students to come to high school. You know, I could say myself, you know, being an athlete, that was my motivation to keep good grades and, and to keep good attendance during my high school career. The same is true today. So students are motivated by athletics, visual performing arts, and um, elective programs and such. And as not having access to those has a significant impact on the psyche of a student. What type of food programs are going to be available once again once you start bringing students back into the classrooms? Yeah, we've been very happy uh, about this. This is one one silver lining of all of this. Is this federal government has actually granted uh, waivers to school districts that we don't have to adhere to the strict guidelines of the free and reduced lunch program. And so we've been able to continue since the onset of the pandemic to offer meals to our community and our students and their families and such. And so with the resumption of the hybrid model on February 1, we'll offer daily lunch to students. And so instead of going through a cafeteria line and then, you know, going to a table outside or inside, students will pick up their lunches and they'll have choices of various lunches and such. They'll pick up their lunches and they'll have a few few moments to, you know, grab a bite to eat or, or be able to get back on a bus or get get home uh, on their own, Um, but we'll be offering daily lunch service, and then in the mornings we also offer kind of a modified breakfast or snacks. What about mental health services for students once they return to the classroom? 
that's another exciting thing too is, is we have, being able to see these students in person and then having have a human contact with our students is, is critically important so one thing i'm so proud about this district and i've worked in other districts uh before and what makes our district so unique is our comprehensive wraparound services that we have uh, for students not only academic not only you know athletics and, and visual performing arts but we also offer a very strong range of social emotional support mental health services uh, academic intervention and such and so we'll be able to offer continue to offer those services we've we've never stopped offering those services during the pandemic but having more face-to-face connection with students allows us to offer better more effective services for them this is the kvmr evening news we're talking with Brett McFadden, the superintendent of the Nevada Joint Union High School District. So if I'm a student or a parent right now and I hear, oh, we're going back to hybrid learning on February 1st, where can I go to get all of the information I need? What websites, what phone numbers? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're telling parents is to contact their primary school. Um, they go to their primary school's website, and then uh, there's information on there as well as you know, updated schedules and such, and they'll get information about what cohort their student will be in and, and, you know, where to show up and when. And then if they have any additional questions, contact their school sites, and we're fully ready and capable of answering almost any question that uh, students, families, and the community may have. I was looking through some other press releases, and I see that there's a live stream for a public awareness forum on domestic and sexual violence how it touches us all. That's happening January 30th, and you're part of that. Yes. Uh, we have a number of partnerships that we uh, work in. You know, the one thing, we call them barriers to learning. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen in uh, students' lives that say, happen outside of the school setting that have a direct impact on their ability to learn. And that can be anxiety, uh, mental health, like violence in the home or violence that they've seen. Those are things that... You know, over the last 20, 30 years, the school districts have really had to step in and partner with other agencies on to deal with. I think we need to remember that our community is very diverse. Over 40% of our students are categorized as low socioeconomic. And so we have families just like in any other area of the state that are going through very, very tough challenges, whether that's brought on by the pandemic and loss of jobs. We have ongoing poverty. We also have families that for whatever reasons, have had family breakdown um, or there's violence in the family or a parent or a sibling is incarcerated or drug use, whatever those you know social ills may be, and those have a direct impact on the students. So we have a very comprehensive set of services, and we do a really good job at it, but it's a daily thing that you have to continue to do. This live stream that's happening on January 30th, I didn't put the details in front of me. Do you have some of those as far as how people can access this? Um, I think there's a, if you go to uh, the website for a group called Communities Beyond Violence, the Nevada County chapter of that, uh, they have information on their website to where there will be. Yeah, it'll be um, a lot of speakers were already previously taped and such, and then um, there'll be a, a question and answer component. And I'll cover this more on next Friday's uh, newscast as well, because it'll be the day before then. But we just wanted to touch on it now and give people a heads up, because I'm sure these are services that people could use right now. Definitely. As I mentioned earlier, the pandemic has had this enormous effect on our community, um, wide-ranging. And you know what we're seeing nationwide in Nevada County is just a microcosm of this, is that the pandemic has 
has had a disproportionate impact on our lower stratas of folks in the socioeconomic spectrum. So the poor have been disproportionately impacted by this in terms of economics. Majority of individuals that have come down with COVID-19 and, and have had significant medical issues associated with that are disproportionately poor. And so that segment of our community is a segment that attends our schools, and we have to do all that we can collectively as a community to make sure that we're um, taking care of those students and such so that we can end these cycles of violence, cycles of poverty and such. Well, we've been talking with Brett McFadden. He's the superintendent of the Nevada Joint Union High School District with hybrid learning returning on February 1st. Brett, thank you very much, and we hope to talk with you more in the months to come to see how things are going. Sounds good. Happy to be here. Thank you. You are tuned to the KVMR Evening News. Next up, the American Civil Liberties Union reports on President Biden's eviction moratorium and why it's a good start. The Public News Service will also report on the Heal Food Alliance, who are trying to make a divided nation make its food system more fair. As an estimated 230,000 Pennsylvania families face possible eviction, civil rights advocates say President Joe Biden's executive order extending the moratorium on evictions is a good start. But Congress could do more to protect tenants who've fallen behind on rent because of the pandemic. The moratorium was set to expire at the end of this month on evictions from federally assisted or financed properties and on foreclosures on federally guaranteed mortgages. But the executive order extends it through the end of March. Ian Thompson with the ACLU says it needs to be expanded to cover all tenants and for the duration of the pandemic. We also need requirements put in place on landlords to make sure that they are not violating these important protections. He adds that Congress needs to have emergency rental assistance in place before the moratorium is lifted. Some landlords have already challenged the constitutionality of the federal moratorium in court. Thompson points out that each passing month, millions of tenants nationwide are falling further behind on their rent. Unless there is emergency rental assistance funding in place, all we are doing is kicking the can down the road for when this mass eviction crisis is going to hit. He thinks the federal government also should provide funding to help cities and states give renters facing eviction the right to be represented by legal counsel in court. Thompson notes experiences in New York City, San Francisco, Boulder, and most recently Baltimore show that instituting a right to legal counsel for tenants helps keep people in their homes. In all of these jurisdictions, these programs have been shown to reduce the number of evictions that actually occur. In December, U.S. Census data estimated that 16 to 25 percent of Pennsylvania tenants are behind on their rent. For Public News Service, I'm Andrea Sears. The nation is at a turning point with a new push for unity, and some groups say changing our food system is one crucial step in addressing the divide. Executive Director of the Heal Food Alliance, Navina Ghana, says the combination of COVID-19, the climate crisis and political unrest, has illuminated the food system's vulnerability in times of crisis. And she explains that disinvestment from majority black neighborhoods, lack of access to land, and weak labor laws have fueled inequities. 
for many of our communities who are most negatively impacted by the food system. That's been the case for hundreds of years. Black, Indigenous, and other people of color have come under attack and have been the ones who are most exploited within our food system over time. Connick contends these divides cannot be bridged without first dismantling policies that put profits over people and the environment. The Heal Food Alliance is promoting changes in the areas of health, environment, agriculture, and labor that can support a crisis-proof food system. Kana says the platform includes protecting dignity for food workers, providing equal opportunities for all producers, and ensuring fair and competitive markets. So strengthening and enforcing antitrust laws. Right now there are only four companies that control the meat industry, for example, and so they're the ones that are literally writing the rules around what happens to workers, what happens to the environment, what happens to farmers all along the way. Ghana encourages consumers to hold the government accountable and ensuring all people have what they need, and also consider asking questions about where their food is coming from. Not everybody has the privilege to be able to just make choices with their dollars and where they're spending their dollars, but we all can inform ourselves a little bit better about what kinds of choices we are making and push for ecological practices that are actually going to sustain us into the future. Kana will speak more about the movement for food systems change as a keynote speaker at the Ohio Ecological Food and Farm Association's 42nd Annual Conference. The online event runs February 10th to the 15th. Register online at oeffa.org. For Public News Service, I'm Mary Sherman. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. For their support, we'd like to thank Scraps Dog Bakery, locally owned pet store offering raw, organic dog and cat products and supplies, also fresh-baked dog treats. Open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., closed Sundays. Located next to B&C Hardware in Grass Valley. Tripp's Auto Body Shop, locally owned and operated by the Tripp family, offering collision, dent, automotive, frame repair, and detailing for over 65 years. Open weekdays, 8 to 5, Freeman Lane, Grass Valley. T-R-I-P-P-S autobody.com. Well, coming up next, it's the California Report. And at 7 o'clock, we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Have a safe weekend.